Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. It was, it was late. Imagine with me. It was late. You know, the, we can imagine the innkeeper had been burning the candle at both ends. Uh, you know, the census crowd had, had sort of packed out Bethlehem um, because of the decrees, and he finally locks the door and, you know, decides to call it a night, exhausted until the knock came. Everyone say the knock. Until the knock came. He shuffles his feet through the dark, you know. I mean, think of it if it was you. Think of it was, you know, somebody knocking at your door in the middle of the night, and you know, the knock came, and he shuffled his feet through the dark, and he's made his way to the door, opening it, opening it with the slightest of cracks. You know how you do. He peered out to see this young couple looking more closely. He saw the young woman who was about to give birth to a child. Room, rooms were full. I mean, you know, they were packed out. They were at capacity. There, there was no vacancy. The sign was flashing, you know. No vacancies. And they really didn't even look special. They, they you know, they looked like just your, you know, your common people, your common folk. And uh, he had to decide whether or not he was going to make room for them somehow, somewhere. And so too will you and I have to decide when the knock comes. Everyone say the knock. If we're going to make room for him in our lives. And John's rendition of, of the word or the birth of Christ um, comes in a few short words. It's in uh, John chapter 1 and verse 14. It'll appear on the screen, but you can look it up if you want. Um, here, here's what it says. The word, or that, that word translated as logos, the word or the logos became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, Greek hearers, those who understood Greek at the time and the hearers, they understood the word logos to basically mean the representation of God or the essence of God found in his word. Now, Hebrew readers would have, you know, perked up to John's message because he also writes here in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, and they remember those same words from the Old Testament in the Torah, right? In the beginning was the Word, everyone say Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, well that's good, right? But he takes it a step further and he says the Word, what? was God. He was with God in the what? In the beginning. Now, he bookends the first sentence of his book with the phrase in the beginning. He, they knew it as the words that began in the first book of the Torah or Genesis. And John writes about beginnings. John writes about the very presence of God, the representation of God 
the dwelling of God in the Word, Word. And he writes to tell us that we have the same, listen to me, the same decision to make as the innkeeper did as well. Will you find a place for Jesus in our lives, or will you and I send him away? See, some people send some people send him away because he just looks too plain. You know, there's not there's not an entourage, there's not, you know, there's not a posse, there's not, you know, a special, you know, group of people escorting him in. You know, he look, just looks too plain. Nothing special about him. You know, don't, don't make that mistake. He comes to common places like your home and common places like your heart. Some people send them away because life's crowded. And, you know, many demands and many deadlines. And you're not sure if you have room for him because it's crowded. But he only comes to give you what he has already done, and he desires to give you his forgiveness. Can somebody say amen? Yeah. And then some, last but not least, some people send them away because they feel like it's too late. It's too late. They've already done too much. There's so many things that they have failed with. They just can't seem to wrap their heart and their eyes and their mind around the idea that God can forgive them. They've already done way too many things and gone too far away. But it's never too late. <laughs> Did you hear me? It's never too late. Not with the one who comes to make his dwelling among us. You need only to open the door. Everyone say the knock. You need only to open the door. But what if, what if there was an interruption to the story? What if a voice calls out to the innkeeper asking him if he knows who he's turning away? I mean, can you imagine? Who, do you know who you're turning away? Does the innkeeper really want to be known for the rest of history that he was the one who turned Jesus away? God, listen, God created all that we see by his word. Do you hear me? His word, the spoken word by his speech. He said, let there be and there was. The voice is the voice of Jesus <laughs> who appears throughout the Old Testament. You know, some people think, some people think over here in 5 BC, you know, that, that Jesus' birth was the first time Jesus existed. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus has been around since the very beginning? We see him throughout the Old Testament. He was there. Listen, in Genesis, in Genesis, he was the seed of the woman, right? In Exodus, he was the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he was the high priest. In, in, in Numbers, he was the cloud of fire, or the cloud in the fire. In Deuteronomy, he was the prophet like unto Moses. In Joshua, he was, he was the captain of our salvation. 
in Judges, <laughs> in Judges, he was the law and the judge, the lawgiver and the judge. In Ruth, he was the kinsman redeemer. Remember, David talked about that, the kinsman redeemer. In, in 1 and 2 Samuel, he was the prophet of the Lord. In 1 Kings and Chronicles, he is the redeemer or the reigning king. In Ezra, he was the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, Dan talked about, he was the rebuilder of the wall. In Esther, he was Mordecai. In, in Job, he was the, the day spring from on high. In Psalms, he was our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. He's the wisdom of God. In the Song of Solomon, he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the son of man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in the fiery furnace, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And so you get over into Hosea, he was the bridegroom. In Joel, he's the baptizer of the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's the burden bearer. In Obadiah, he's the mighty savior. In Jonah, he is the forgiving God. In Micah, he's the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is the great evangelist. In Zephaniah, he's the restorer. In Haggai, he's the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, he's the pierced son. And in Malachi, he's the son of righteousness with healing in his wings. So, when this knock comes, how many of you think we ought to open up the door? See, this, this, this whole thing is tied together. It's so cool when you understand the concept of Scripture and you understand the upper story and the lower story and you can understand how our story has a part to play in God's story. Amen? This Jesus who was made flesh, finally we see him in all these Old Testament representations, but this Jesus who was made flesh, he was made flesh for real. He, he had teeth, he had toenails <laughs> that needed to be clipped. <laughs> he had a couple of kidneys. You know, he was not just part God and part man. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. Jesus was born to just ordinary people. That says something. That communicates to me. Just ordinary people. I mean, like in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, this is what it says. How would this be, Mary asked the angel. In other words, how... I. I don't get it. Anyone ever said that to God? I don't get it. I, I just don't get this. I don't understand how this is going to happen. You know, perhaps, perhaps it's just your job or your finances or your marriage, you know, or your children or your parents or whatever that might look like. It's, she said, how would this be? I find myself asking the Lord that sometimes too. Because the facts say... I'm just a virgin. I'm just a virgin. And the angel said, you know what? Don't sweat the small stuff. <laughs> right? 
Yeah, don't sweat the small stuff. The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, of, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. See, Jesus was born of a young virgin girl needing no help from us to be born. The earthly father of Jesus was so regular. He was just a regular Joe. <laughs> right? He didn't have any clout. He didn't have any cash. He didn't have a lot of credit. He didn't have any strings to pull. He didn't have a bunch of friends to cover him. Listen, Mary was just an ordinary girl. And Joseph was just a good old regular Joe, right? But Jesus' birth changed everything. Do you hear me? It changed everything. I mean, it was, it was Jesus' birth was a truly humble event. I mean, so what does it mean? What does Jesus' you know, humble birth mean to us? Well, Jesus the maker of the universe, the one who invented time, the one who gave you the breath that you just took, the one, the one who owns everything started off humble in humble circumstances. You know, no flashing lights, no crazy stuff, no, you know, Facebook announcement, you know, no Twitter feed. It was humility, humble. Humble enough, I think. How humble was it? Humble enough to understand what you've been through this week. Humble enough to understand what keeps you up at night, what keeps you awake. Humble enough to say, I know what that feels like, what you've been going through. So what are some of the takeaways, just from the little bit we've talked about so far, that we can actually apply to our own personal life. First of all, if you're in your notes, if you're taking notes, it, it's not too crowded. It's not too crowded. Listen, your world and my world is crowded, right? I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I am so tired. I, I just feel like there's so much to be done and I just feel wasted. I feel spent. Heard that several times this week. Our world, our world is crowded with headlines and deadlines and phone lines and long lines and concerns over waistlines. <laughs> it's crowded. Our schedules are full. Our itineraries are full. Our responsibilities are full. Our anxiety cup is full. It's overflowing. And Christ comes in the midst of the crowded world and knocks. Everyone say knock. Knocks on our heart's door. And our response is, I don't have time sometimes. I don't have time for you. Listen, Jesus doesn't come to compl complicate our lives. Really, but to simplify it. It's not the presence of Christ that creates complication, it is the lack of Christ, I might add, and submit to you, that does create that complication. He doesn't come to tell you to get your act together. He comes in because you can't get your act together. 
He doesn't come with a list of things to do. He comes with a list of things that has already been done. Don't tell Jesus, my life's too crowded. Second, the second takeaway is it's not too late. It's not too late. It wasn't too late for Abraham. He was already pushing triple digits when he had his first child. It wasn't too late for Moses. He was already retired when God tapped him on the shoulder and says, come on, I need you. It wasn't too late for Jonah. I mean, he turned and ran from God, and God ran back after him and pulled him back in. The stories of the Bible are stories of people who pushed the limit of God, but it was never too late, ever too late. It's never too late to invite Jesus into our lives. We don't have to clean up our act. He will clean it up for us. And third, third, he, he, he's not too common. If you're taking notes, he's not too common. Some people miss Jesus because they're waiting for something supernatural, a sign from heaven, a headline, a headline-grabbing miracle. But Jesus, Jesus comes to common places like Bethlehem, to common fathers like Job on the back of a common donkey and a common manger in a common stable to common folks like shepherds in the womb of a girl so common and young she probably still had pimples. <laughs> but when God picks when God picks his way of coming he comes through the common. Can somebody say amen? Aren't you glad for that? You don't have to have a certain dollar amount in your bank account. You don't have to be somebody. You don't have to be all that in a bag of chips. Listen, it's not too crowded. It's not too late to meet Jesus or allow him in to your heart. I'm not just talking. Some, some of you say, oh, I've been saved for years. I'm not just talking about salvation. I'm talking about transformation. It's not too late to meet Jesus, the Word, our King, our Savior, he comes to common folk, a common carpenter, a common virgin girl, a common shepherd. When God comes, he comes through common things. Does anyone qualify? You can pray, come Jesus. Please come and make your heart, my heart, your home. What does that look like? Well, in Paul's epistle to the Ephesians, we find this here in Ephesians 3.16, what does it mean to make my heart his home? That God, verse 16, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may what? Dwell in our hearts by faith. Or, as one translation puts it, that Christ may settle down and be at home in my heart by faith. Everyone say settle down. Think, of, think about the imagery there. That Christ might settle down and be at home, feel at home in my heart. That's what we're talking about today. Without question, one of the most remarkable Christian doctrines is that Jesus Christ himself 
through the presence of the Holy Spirit will actually enter a heart, settle down, and be at home there. Christ will make a human heart his abode, his dwelling, his home, the place he lives. Look at John 14, 23. It says, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come unto him and make our, we will come unto him and make our abode with him, our, ho- our home, our house, our dwelling, the place we live. So several years back, I came across this classic allegory or metaphor, if you will, to illustrate how Jesus wants to visit every room in our heart. My heart, Christ's home. Here's how it goes. Just want to read it to you. I want you to think about, as I read, where you're at with this and what, where, what the rooms of your house in your heart are filled with. What do they look like? It's like we have rooms in our home right now. We have our, you know, den, our bedroom, our living room, our, you know, basement, our garage, our, all that stuff. So we're going to use this as just sort of an allegory to illustrate how Jesus wants to visit every room of our heart. Here's how it goes. One evening, there was a knock at the door. It was Jesus asking if he could come in. So I decided to invite Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. That was not real spectacular or an emotional thing, but very real. It, it, was, it was at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and he began to turn on the lights. He started some music where there had been stillness and he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful presence. Think about this. Jesus coming into my heart, his home. I I never regretted opening the door for Christ that night. I never will, ever. After Christ entered my heart and the joy of the Lord and that new relationship, I said to him, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around and introduce you to the various features of my home that you might be more comfortable here. The first room was the study. Let us call it my mind, okay? Uh, Now, in my room, my home, this room is of the mind is very small and has very thick walls. (laughs) But it is an important room. In a sense, it's the control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at the books and the the bookcase, the magazines upon the table, the pictures on the wall. As I followed his gaze, I became very uncomfortable. Strangely enough, I had not felt badly about this before. But now that he was there looking at these things, I was embarrassed. There were some books there that his eyes were too pure to behold. There was a lot of trash and literature on the table that a Christian had no business reading. 
And as for the pictures on the wall, the imaginations and thoughts of the mind, these were shameful. I, I turned to him, embarrassed, and I said, Master, I know what this room needs. It needs some help. It needs a radical alteration. Will you help me make it what it ought to be to bring every thought into captivity in this room? Surely, he said, gladly I'll help you. From the study, we went into the dining room. Now, the dining room is full of appetites and desires. Now, this was a very large room. I spent a good deal of time there and uh, had much effort, worked real hard at satisfying my wants. He seated himself at the table with me and asked, what's for dinner? What's on the menu? Well, I said, some of my favorite dishes, money, recognition, status, selfishness. I like nice cars and big houses, and I like to, I like to be important. And, and some fame and fortune as side dishes. I observed that as we ate, he wasn't eating. I said to him, Master, are, are, you, not, are you not hungry? Do you not care for this food? What's the trouble? He answered. He said, son, I have meat to eat that you do not know of. My meat is to do the will of him who sent me. He looked at me again and said, if you want food that really satisfies you, seek the will of the Father, not your own pleasures, not your own desires, not your own selfishness, and not your own satisfaction. Then we walked into the next room. It was the living room. This room was where I enjoyed comfort and companions. I liked it. It had a fireplace, overstuffed chair, a sofa, a quiet atmosphere. He seemed also pleased with it. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let us come here often. It is secluded and quiet. We can spend time together. Well, naturally, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do and to have a few minutes with Christ in intimate communication and companionship. He promised, I'll be here early every morning. Meet me here, and we'll start the day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room, and he would take a book of the Bible from the bookcase, and he would open it up, and, and we would read it together, and he would tell me of its riches and unfold its truths to me. He would make my heart warm as he revealed his love and his grace and that he had toward me. These were beautiful and wonderful hours that we spent together. But little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time became shortened. Why? Why? I don't know. But the thought was, I'm just too busy to spend time with Christ. This was not intentional. You understand. It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss a day here and, and a day there. It was examination time at the university, and then it was some other urgent emergency, and I would miss out two days in a row and, and, and often more. I remember one morning when I was in a hurry, rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. As I passed the living room, the door was open. Looking in, I saw a fire in the fireplace, and Jesus just simply sitting there alone, 
suddenly, in my dismay, I thought to myself, he's my guest. I invited him into my heart, my home. He has come as the Lord of my home, and yet, here I am neglecting him. I turned and went in with downcast glance. I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I'd be here every morning to meet with you. And I was even more ashamed. He'd been faithful in spite of my lack of faithfulness. I asked his forgiveness, and he readily forgave me, as he does every time we truly repent. Before long, I found myself thinking about him. Then he asked me, do you have a work room in your home? Work room, meaning my fruitfulness? Down in the basement of my home, of my heart, I had a workbench and some equipment, but I was not doing much with it. Once in a while, I would play around with a few little gadgets, but I wasn't really making anything or producing anything substantial or worthwhile. I led him down there, and he, he looked over the workbench, and, and what little talents and skills that I had on the bench, he said, this is quite well furnished. What are you producing with your life for the kingdom of God? What are you doing with what I gave you? And he looked at one of one or two little toys that I had thrown together on the bench and held up one to me. Are these the little toys, all that you are doing for others in your Christian life? Well, I said, Lord, I, that's the best I can do. I know it isn't much, and I, I really want to do more, but after all, I, I really don't have much to give. I don't, I don't have a lot of skill or strength. Jesus said, would you like to do better, he asked. Certainly, I replied. He said, all right, let me, let me have your hands. Now relax in me and let the, the spirit of the living God work through you. I know that you're unskilled and awkward, but the Holy Spirit is the master worker, and if he controls your hands and your heart, he will work through you. I remember a time then as we walked from there, he asked me about the playroom. He said, I was wondering if you have a playroom in your house, and I was hoping he wouldn't ask about that. There were certain associations and friendships and activities and amusements that I wanted to keep for myself. I did, I did not think Christ would enjoy them or approve of them. So I, I did my best to evade the question and avoid it. But there came an evening when I was on my way out with some friends, and as I about, was about to shut the door, he stopped me with a glance and said, are you going out? And I said, yes, I am. Good, he said. Can I go along? Oh, wait a minute, I answered rather awkwardly. I don't think you would really want to go with us. Let's go out tomorrow. Maybe we can hit a prayer meeting or something. He said, that's all right. Only I thought that when I came into your home, into your heart, we were going to do everything together, to be close companions. I just want you to know that I'm willing to go with you. 
Well, I said, we'll go someplace maybe tomorrow night. When I returned that evening, there was a light on in his room. And I went up to talk it over with him. And I said, Lord, I've, I've learned my lesson. I can't have a good time without you. From now on, 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 from now on we will do everything together. Then we went down into the playroom of my house, and he transformed it. He brought into life real joy, happiness, satisfaction, friends, new excitement, new joys. Laughter and music have been ringing through the house ever since. Then there's just one more room, one more thing that matters that I might share with you. One day I found him waiting for me when I arrived home at the door. An arresting look was on his face, in his eyes. As I entered, he said to me, this, there's this peculiar odor in this house. There's something, it smells like it's dead around here. It seems like it's upstairs. I think maybe, maybe it's the hall closet. As soon as, as soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about, Yeah. There was a small closet up there on the landing behind the lock and key. I had a couple of secrets or skeletons that I did not want anyone to know about and certainly did not want the Lord to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting, things left over from the old life, from my past, things I wanted to hold on to. I loved them, I wanted them for myself, and I was afraid to admit, to admit that they were there. Reluctantly, I went up to him and as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger, and he pointed at the door. He said, it's in here. There's something dead in here. I was angry. That's the only way I could put it. I had given him access to the study, to the dining room, to the living room, to the workroom, to the playroom, and now he was asking me about this little, small closet. I said to myself, this is just too much. I, I'm not going to give him the key. But obviously, over time, I had to surrender. I'll give you the key, I said sadly, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key. Just authorize me to take care of the closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key to him, and he took it from my hand, and he walked over to the door, and he opened it and entered it and took out all of the putrefying stuff that was rotting in there, and he threw it away. Then he cleaned up the closet, and he painted it, and he fixed it up, doing it all in just a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead, stinking thing out of my life. Then the thought occurred to me. I said to myself, I've been trying to keep this heart of mine clear and clean for Christ. I start one room and no sooner have I cleaned that, then another room is dirty. I begin on the second room and the first one became, becomes dirty again. I am so tired and so weary of trying to maintain a clean heart and an obedient life. I'm just not up to it. So I, I ventured a question to the Lord. I said, Lord, is there any chance that you would take over responsibility of the whole house and operate it for me and with me just as your partner, just like you did the closet? 
Would you take the responsibility to keep my heart what it ought to be and my life where it ought to be? I could see his face light up as he replied, certainly. This is what I came to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. That's impossible. Let me do this through you and for you. That's why, that is the way. But he added slowly, I'm not the owner of this house. I'm just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. I saw in a minute and dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you've been a guest in my heart. You've been a guest in my home and I've been the host. From now on, now on, I'm going to be a servant and you're going to be the owner and the master in the Lord. Running as fast as I could to the strong box or my safe, I took out the title deed to the house describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation and condition. I eagerly signed it over to belong to him alone for time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is, all that I am and forever. Now you run the house and I'll just, I'll just remain your servant and friend. I took my life that day and I can give you my word. There is no better way to live the Christian life. He knows how to keep it in shape and he knows how to keep peace in my soul, my Christ, my, my, may Christ settle down in, in my home, in my heart forevermore. Can anyone relate to this? Think about all the rooms of your heart and house, your mind, your comfort, your companions, your activities, your desires, all those things that we struggle with. This person in the allegory decided that the best solution to all of that was to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of everything. He was transferring the title. The Bible says over in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and what? There's that word again, what? I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and I will sup with him and he with me. Let's stand to our feet. Jesus didn't come just for your heavenly salvation. He came for your earthly transformation. He wants to come into every room of your heart, every room of your life, and transform it. And he doesn't want you, you to keep trying to figure it out yourself. God never called you to do that. He said, I'll do it. You give me permission, and I'll do it. Amen? Christianity is not our responsibility. It's our response to his ability. So today, are there rooms of your heart, the rooms of your life that are a mess? What's behind the closet door? 
What kind of secrets are rattling in there? What, what are some of the things that's happening in your heart and your life that you're not proud of? I want to pray for you today, and we're going to make our pastoral team available to pray for you as well, if you'd like. Let's just bow our heads for just a minute. First of all, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, knocking, asking, can I come in? Will you open the door? Do you have room for me? Just like the innkeeper? Do you choose to send him away or are you going to open the door of your heart to let him come in and receive him? If that's you, would you, would you, and you say, you know what, I want to do that today. Would you just slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. Would you do that? God bless you. You, God bless you. God bless you. How about, how about others, perhaps, that are here that there's some rooms that you are totally ashamed of? You know that he wouldn't be welcome there. He wouldn't, he wouldn't feel comfortable there. There's some things that are in your life that you're not proud of. And, and you're saying, you know what, God, I can't do this. I, I've tried, but you can see it's a mess. And I've got some rooms that I need your help. I need you to take over transform it. If that's you and you'd like me to pray for you, just slip up your hand. I'd like to pray for you. God bless you all over, all over the place. Thank you for being honest, transparent, open. Let's just bow our heads and, and trust God by faith to start something fresh and new. we just lift our hands to the Lord representing surrender God as we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ came into the earth was born as we go through the New Testament we want to start with making sure that we make room for you in our lives in our hearts in our stuff. And we're willing to make room and open the door and find a place and make you comfortable and welcome and allow you to come and point out some things that, that need to change that aren't your will for our lives. Not through condemnation, because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But just conviction of the Holy Spirit and just showing us this is this is the way. Walk in it. So God, we ask you to come now by the Holy Spirit and visit each person in their heart, which is their home. And give them hope. God, give them hope. Some are standing here today thinking, golly, I just can't seem to get it right can't seem to work it out. Seems like I try, but I fail. God, would you give them hope that through Christ all things are possible? 
that you're more than able, you're more than a conqueror, therefore we are. God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters here today, those who have decided to open the door of their heart, welcome you in and make room for you today. Those, those who are dealing with some issues, and I ask you, God, to first of all, forgive them. Second, second, to just come in and transform their lives. Say yes, Lord. Just say yes to him. Let's all say yes, Lord. One more time. Yes, Lord. God, I just pray right now that you begin to, to do a work by the Holy Spirit, not by human hands, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would come now and begin the work <laughs> of tearing things out and replacing them, of remodeling, of tearing walls down that have been up far too long, pulling out some of that old nasty stuff from the past that are behind the closet door and stinking so old and so putrid God, I pray that life would come into those areas and change would come just want to ask you now to just worship the Lord for a few minutes and, and as you do just begin to communicate with him tell him you're, you love him and you want him tell him you want him to take over the title deed if you want to know more about life lessons check us out online at metrobelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.